0: last episode we left off on the topic of Jody I know that you had some stuff coming up around it we were talking about rights and responsibilities and entitlement and stewardship over ownership and things like that and um Jody had some stuff that was coming up for her so we're going to start this episode off with that you know it started to make me
1: like have a like a little pullback from a lot of other conversations that I've seen had in, especially in the spiritual community, but it was like around deservedness and worthiness. And like, you know, we start talking about, this is my right, you know, and then, you know, know, this branches out into all of this sovereignty conversation. Um, This started making me think about all of the conversations I have witnessed and been a part of where people have talked about like, sharing codes and you know i brought this through and i'm the one that's here to bring this and it i am the governing the governing uh authority over this information and i'm just like this goes so far y'all this is like (laughs) we're about to really crack it
0: open uh so welcome to the quantum shit show (laughs) i would expect nothing less second episode here we are (laughs) just cracking it right open yeah
1: You know, in the last episode, we were talking about rights versus responsibility and people trying to claim their right. And Danica, you brought up how it was making you even observe like the conversation on birthright. And then it was like, but if we just, if we eliminated that um, sense of entitlement, both brought up entitlement, and we started talking about it from the perspective of responsibility, this is my... This is my inherent responsibility, right? I We just watched a show the other day that was talking about, um, it's like ancient, and it was uh, the setting free of these enslaved people. And this woman who's bringing um, freedom, you know, I'm using air quotes, to these people is telling them straight up, like, I can't give you your freedom. You have to choose it. You have to take it. It's here in front of you basically. And it made me think of that as you were talking about right versus responsibility and people staking a claim in something, but having no idea what it means to actually hold that. Yeah. They, they don't know what it means to hold it. They just think, you know, this is my right or even using the word birthright, right? Like this is, that's an ancient practice. That's a very ancient practice. And it was like the firstborn son was granted access to all of the things that had been accumulated and acquired in the family. So that was money, slaves, um, property, all of it. That was the oldest birthright. But in the story of Jacob and Esau, okay, Esau was the oldest. It was his birthright to have everything that Isaac had accumulated. But Jacob tricked his father because he was blind and Jacob stole the birthright. So that is an example in history where it did not follow the genetic lineage as it was supposed to because one son chose to take full responsibility and said, I will do whatever I have to do to take that thing. And I will steward the birthright basically Mm -hmm. is what Mm -hmm. happened. Story So, and that just like popped in my head. Sorry. It's like a, it's like a Bible program. It it just happens (laughs) inadvertently. But the point is, is that he was willing to do whatever needed to be done and not leave it to chance. You know, like
2: he wasn't just saying,
1: well, that's the birthright. That's the order of things and that's how it goes. So that's what we're going to let happen. He was like, I want it and I'm willing to do whatever I have to do to access it. And
2: so powerful
1: he did, you know, he, he accessed it. He took it. Of course it set him and his brother at war with each other forever. Um, But the point is, is that all of that conversation was causing me to think of all of the things that we've witnessed, all of the things we've had conversation around, especially in the spiritual community where people are like, you know, I'm the chosen one to bring this through and da, da 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 But they have no real relationship with it. They have no real responsibility for what they're doing. Right. And then it comes forward or they bring forward whatever they think they have a right to and how it impacts the whole and the, the community at large. You no, know, that's just one aspect.
2: With great um, power comes great responsibility.
1: Yeah. But then you have all of the spiritual conversation around deservedness and worthiness and what we are worthy of and all this stuff. And we may well be worthy of many things, but if we're not willing to take responsibility for that thing in our life, then having the worth conversation Mm -hmm. is a moot point. Like it, it means nothing, Mm -hmm. you know, I think
2: that there's a direct connection there too, between birthright and worth, because if you are (laughs) entitled to something eternal living, great, you know, for example, the kingdom of God, as it has been called before um, this access to life, eternal life, but Mm -hmm. also like access to God's source, creator's source. Um, And the worth has been attacked so much to the point where the trauma has resulted in a complete misidentification with Mm -hmm. ourselves. And we don't feel worthy of that, even though it's there available for us. The, the taking ownership, taking responsibility of something, saying, this is what I want to do, that is directly related to feeling worthy of that. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, because if you don't feel worthy of it, you won't step into the space where you could even conceive of taking ownership over something like that. Mm-hmm. Because your identity is rooted in something that is fallen, that is uh, basically like a trauma based mind control program or a shame based identity, Mm -hmm. which is what so many of us are recovering from or healing from. Um, And we don't feel worthy of having a true relationship with God. We don't feel worthy of uh, what has been called salvation or deliverance. We don't feel worthy of our birthright. We don't feel worthy of freedom Mm -hmm. and our entire identity, our shame based identity, or that distortion has become dependent on us claiming a birthright that is not actually ours mm-hmm. that is defined by brokenness that is defined by trauma separation abuse these cycles of trauma and abuse and on, on the other hand whenever it does come time to heal those wounds and step into a space of true like alchemized unworthiness like true humility knowing my place this is my place i'm not power grabbing here which is what a lot of the, the people that you're talking about, a lot of people who want to um, harness a certain level of power that they perceive coming from an identity or coming from a source um, without actually being able to understand the responsibility of that. Whenever we start to truly heal our relationship with God and come into that truer identity, that's not rooted in shame. That's not bound by trauma or defined by separation we start to actually have access and take ownership in a way that is responsible for the power that's held there. Yeah, Because you're talking about something where people haven't actually addressed that trauma within themselves or the feelings of unworthiness that they do feel deep down deep inside or the thing, the identity that they've been separated from. So they're actually operating from a place of trauma or from an identity. That's not their core truest identity. And they start to harness power because they indeed do have access to certain things, Mm -hmm. but they're harnessing it from an intention of that being the thing that makes them whole. And they're perpetuating the same trauma that they're operating from. So, yeah, we've seen so many times where, you know, uh, spiritual leaders or even just people in the communities that we're connected to have this like power grab thing that's unconscious And they're like, this is my right. This is what I'm here to do, what I'm here to bring forward. And they end up not being available, not only to the people that they're expressing these things to, they're expressing this display of power um, or magic, or they're harnessing something or they're claiming something even, um, but they're not being accountable for the effect that that actually has on people. Mm -hmm. So whenever people like in their, audience or their group is coming to them, asking questions. Well, whenever you said this, what did you mean? Or whenever you said this did something to me and I'm trying to understand what's going on here. And they just say exactly what Danica, you said in the last episode. Um, But Jody, what you're saying right now is like they're unavailable for that. Or you have to book an appointment and then you have to pay a certain amount. And like my (laughs) time is worth something because I'm entitled to this whole That's that's your initiation to walk through. Exactly. (laughs) That has nothing to do with me. I'm just here to stand and deliver And what you do with the information is yours. Like I have nothing to do with that. And it's like a complete avoidance and like shucking the responsibility of actually what they're attempting to take ownership of. Mm -hmm. So whether it isn't a responsibility in our lives or a responsibility, like in our lives on this 3D reality, Mm -hmm. which is not real life, Mm -hmm. but either that or a responsibility to take ownership of our place with God, we're going to walk through an initiatory Mm -hmm. process where we have to learn how to hold that Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and (laughs) be precise and measured and accurate with how we operate from that space. Right. Otherwise, we're doing the same thing that mm-hmm. all of the world leaders up to this point have done, which is abuse the power or misuse the power. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Or even is it even really power at that point? You know what I mean? Exactly. This, this reminds me of what I um, brought forward in the yeah. final class of my course. Um, And I was talking about our divine inheritance and how everyone wants to claim the divine inheritance. And we don't have to earn it because it is already ours, but there is a very distinct code of conduct that we have to abide by if we're going to energetically realign ourselves with the frequency and resonance of that divine inheritance, which comes from God, right? So it's this goes back to the story of the prodigal son. (laughs) I feel like we don't just get to be like, that's mine. You know what I mean? We have to actually steward it, maintain it. And that code of conduct is ethical responsibility, accountability, having a truly humble heart, using your discernment, um, you know, and just a lot, all of this kind of stuff. And I feel like it, it actually could go into the realm of what a lot of people call co-creating with God, um, mm-hmm. what, what I call mutual devotion. I call it mutual devotion, but I, I know a lot of people call it co-creating. I, that's a very popular term in the spiritual communities, co-creating with God. And, um, I feel like it can go, um, usually one of two ways. I see people trying to either be very passive with it and not do anything and allow God to do all the work. You know what I mean? Or they are really not connected with God and they're controlling it all. You know what I mean? And, are uh, misusing the power or whatever. And there is that sweet spot. In, in and, the center, I feel like, is where it, the truth usually lies, right? Right in the center of that spectrum where the yeah. pendulum swings from side to side. The truth is, in, in, uh, is usually in the center <clears throat> where we actually abide by this code of conduct
2: mm-hmm.
0: in order to claim our divine inheritance. But we have to steward it, maintain it, keep it. And there's like a whole... It's like a whole process of staying aligned to the energetic resonance of it.
1: Yes, this is so good. Let's
2: crack it open.
1: This is making me think of, I mean, because we even talk about this through our our Christed priesthood, which, you know, um, that whole process is honestly about bringing people into deeper understanding of what it means to be in relationship with God from a responsible place and like reclaiming what belongs to us. But exactly what you're saying, Danica, there is no practical application if all we're talking about are concepts and creating all these conceptual things that we're quote unquote entitled to. Right. As children of God, mm-hmm. and then we don't do the work to maintain what you're talking about—that energetic resonance, that alignment. That is the work, you know. And it's like right. I can sit here all day and say it's my birthright that I be provided for, right? That that is my—I am predisposed to being provided mm-hmm. for because I am a child of God. That is true. But if I sit on my ass and I do nothing. And I sit here and go, why, why is nothing happening for me? Why is God not answering my prayer? Because we treat God like a genie that (laughs) grants exactly. Instead of letting God move through our lives and being the conduits that we claim we want to be for truth and good and righteousness and all these things. And we don't put anything. It's like we haven't learned the dance of co-creation.
0: In a lot of ways. I feel ways. like it's spiritual laziness to me. You know what I mean? It's to claim something and then not actually want to put in the work to keep it or do it. I mean, on a fundamental level, that is laziness. So, in the realm of spirituality, it's spiritual laziness mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. me.
1: Yes, it's like I have a right to be provided for. Okay. I can say that and I know what I'm saying when I say that. But if I take no responsibility for my provision, in my life, Mm -hmm. then I am at conflict with my own self and with God, because I, it is my right to be provided for. Mm -hmm. It is not required of me to be a slave in order to get that provision. Right? So all that's required of me is that perpetual resonance, that alignment with my source And it's going to require some kind of output. It's going to require Mm -hmm. some kind of energetic movement in my life rather than just sitting here waiting for something to knock on my door and show up, you know, because I need it.
0: Special delivery from God.
1: (laughs) And that can happen too. It can, but it happens when we are moving in that energetic flow. Mm -hmm. That's when it happens.
2: I think a big part of this conversation that I I also want to bring up is stewarding the vessel, the physical body, because just taking care of these bodies here in the world that we live in can turn into a full-time job. I know it certainly has for us, and I know Danica as well. Like It can feel like a full-time job, and it can take some serious resources to supply what this body needs because of the deficit that's been created by the authorities of this world. And maintaining that movement of the body—I'm not just talking about physical movement or whatever—but exactly what you are saying, Jody, is as we just maintain ourselves, mm-hmm. simple as that. Maintain our bodies <laughs> and do the even the bare minimum, um, but even a little bit more because most of us like have a bit, a bit of a fire in our lives or somewhat of a passion um, that uh, that we have attempted to pursue at some level, you know, just the movement of that alone will require some energetic output. It will require us to do something. Right. Right. And because straight up without movement, the physical body will atrophy. Mm -hmm. So the same thing happens for every part of our anatomy, not just the physical body, but the light body you know, and, and the, and the anatomy of our spirit, the same thing. So we have to put in the work almost like blazing the trail, like between us and God and doing that work, whether it's a daily practice, just the same as feeding our own bodies and making sure that we have what we need, that alone will take us to places where we are doing the work, where we are um, places that we haven't been before. You know, it, you can't not walk the trail because it will grow back over, and you will lose sight of the path you've been walking. Mm-hmm. You know, just just straight up. I mean, the grass will come <laughs> back, and you won't see the trail anymore. You kind of have to walk that every day to make sure that the path is there. It's the same thing with our physical anatomy, with our spiritual anatomy. Yeah, and we won't even get into the mental anatomy because uh, <laughs> that's uh, the world will kind of do that for us, you know. And um, I think a lot of that what we're talking about will kind of take us out of that space yeah. take us out of all the mental process the thought process and we'll get into that really deeply but putting in some level of work just to sustain well, the vessel that we have
1: it's just responsibility that's that's all it is it's like saying i have a right to divine health but i eat really crappy and I don't sleep when I'm supposed to. And I don't do anything to nourish myself in any way that's proper.
2: And I drink all day. And then
1: when I have like, I'm on death's door, I'm screaming (laughs) at God. Like, why aren't you showing up for me? Why aren't you doing the thing? And it's not to say that God's like, well, you didn't take care of your body, so I'm not going to do this now. It's not that it's like, we try to take ourselves out of any responsible place for what we actually create in this space. And that is what is dangerous to us because that lack of responsibility and accountability does not, it it makes us be as bad as our, you know, um, enslaving overlords basically in this realm. And that is what separates us and helps us access relationship with God is our willingness to take accountability and be responsible for the things that we say belong to us, period. You know, it's like, yeah, it's just so practical. This is the thing. It's like the responsible part is the practical part. And if we take our hands off of it and like, well, this belongs to me, but I don't have to do anything for it, It's like, that's, that's delusion. Mm-hmm. That's what well, it can know.
0: become reckless too, right? Because then at that point, when we remove ourselves from the responsibility and the accountability of it, then there's no, um, like there's no, uh, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for liability I guess whenever something is you know especially when we're working with other people like as a practitioner we're working with other people and then it's like if there's no liability or no accountability no responsibility for what we're doing that's so dangerous it's so dangerous
2: and it leaves people stuck and confused in their own trauma loops and it gives them a responsibility that's not actually theirs and they don't heal
0: Well, and I think too, this could actually segue into, um, wh- a portion of what we brought through in the webinar was about, um, manually manipulating things because that really puts something onto other people that's not really, it's either not theirs or it wasn't time for them to hold it because we're manipulating like the organic trajectory of what, where they're supposed to be, right? If we're, if
2: we're doing that. Mm
1: hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah,
2: we- yeah. The role of the quantum practitioner,
0: mm-hmm.
2: or the wo- role of the witness, even.
0: Yeah, the role
2: of the supporter. I think that that was a, we kind of broke into this conversation a little bit more, and I know that we each have been sharing with one another. I mean, Danica, you brought it up. You want to share? I mean, what you feeling around that?
0: Yeah, I I definitely can. I feel like. I don't even know if quantum practitioner is even the right word. Like you're saying, I feel like I'm moving into the realm of facilitator, like or space holder, or I don't even, I don't even know. I don't, I try not to put those um, titles onto myself, mm-hmm. but I feel like ultimately other people are going to put those titles on us. So then at that point, if we know that people are looking to us, then we have a responsibility. We have an ethical responsibility to stay accountable to do our very best to try not to lead them astray and I guess that what's just really moving for me is um, or the way that that this quantum work is shifting for me and the scope of how I facilitate my my containers in practice um, what I used to do I used to (laughs) this is so funny (laughs) I used to actually say, and, and I look back on this now and I'm like, this is alarming. Um, and I, I actually got this. I got this from another person. Okay. And I, I, and I, and I recognized that I was regurgitating it, but um, I used to call myself like a, like a, like a psychic surgeon. <laughs> Your lack of expression tells me everything I need to know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. And go so, I, and I know that you can relate too, because yeah. the way that before this big shift really began happening, um, the way that I used to facilitate sessions was I was the healer, right? Mm-hmm. I would go into a session with someone, I would open up their light body, I would see what, what I perceived was not supposed to be there. And I would move stuff around, take stuff out, put stuff in. You know what I mean? Doing what I thought I needed to do to actually like help them heal. And um, I look back on that now and I'm like, holy shit, (laughs) this is so bad. This is so bad. It's bad because we're manually manipulating people's light bodies, trying to force them into a healing trajectory, um, you know, which should be determined by their relationship with God. Lots of times the people I'm working with are not even in relationship with God or cultivating it. So it's like when I'm really moving that stuff around in their body like that, or their light body, their energy body, um, (laughs) I'm forcing them and molding them and manipulating them to fit a perception of what I was thinking that they should look like, right? Right. And And what I've really come to understand over the last few months is that I mean, obviously I already knew this. We can be wrong. We're fallible, right? But it's like, I feel like it's really clicking for me. Like things that I thought were true are being revealed to me as untrue. So now what does that mean about the work that I've done in the past, right? So that means I manually manipulated people's light bodies, their trajectories, their their timelines, their consciousness, According to what I was perceiving as truth, as if, as if more layers were not going to be peeled back and be revealed as false. Like what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. That's two. Yeah. I
1: mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing is like, this is such a, this is such a great conversation and the great opportunity to have this conversation because Um, Bo and I, when we first started doing quantum sessions, um, I was coming from a background of coaching. So, and I, and I had been silent on that for almost a year, honestly, but I I'm coming from much more like structured environment. There was no God conversation in that at all. I was really, it was all bottom line, you know, everything I did was bottom line. So I was helping people sift through the things that were standing in the way of what they ultimately wanted, you know, just facilitating that and guiding that. Bo coming in and coming from a very spiritual place of like really his own personal relationship with God and like his own meditative experience. And he is a very visual person and is able to see and experience, but we were heavily influenced by the things that were in our space. And I think this is true for everyone. So there's no shame in this game. You know what I'm saying? It's just like having that realization, that moment of like, Oh, Whoa, you know? And We have had to have that conversation
0: repeatedly. (laughs) (laughs) I, I definitely don't feel any shame about it because obviously that doesn't, it doesn't serve me, but I can see things now for what they are without attaching that emotion to them. And I can be like, okay, wow. And so for me now, it's just like, well, I have to be transparent about it. I have to talk about it. I have to be accountable and responsible for the actions that I took. And then I know that people are looking at me for information. And so then I have that responsibility to share what I, what's coming to me, you know, that way, if they feel like they need to course correct or whatever, then they can. I certainly have course corrected. Yeah, definitely. Because I feel like the way that, um, and you and I, Jody, talked about this recently, but the way that I facilitate my sessions now is really just creating a space where the, um, like this other person can, and, and me, we're all coming to this space where God is
1: yes. and
0: allowing God to move through the space. And oftentimes i learn so much in that space too, you know, like, um, but I'm not, I'm not the healer. I'm not initiating anything. God's the healer. God's the initiator. And I'm just really holding the space and teaching them what it feels like when God is in their space and asking them questions like, well, what are you feeling right now? Where like, let's, let's breathe into the body, drop into the heart space. Tell me what you're feeling. Are you feeling constriction here? Ask God to reveal to you where that's coming from. Let's explore it. If you're ready, I'm not forcing anything on anyone anymore. You know, like, Oh, there's a wound here. Let me go in here and expand it and see what's going on in here. And then, you know, and then, there's a, then there's a crisis in my container. Right. And because Mm -hmm. they weren't ready to go into it. Yeah. So we had a
1: session long ago. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, We just, we had a session not too long ago that was like, uh, with someone who had actually never had a quantum healing session ever. And, um, we were aware of that going into it. And so we're both being very conscious of even what we said in the space, because we realize there's terminology. There are things that get used in those spaces and people, if they, if they don't know the lingo, you know, then they're just lost in there. And it's like, what's the point of that? But I remember in the session very clearly that this particular person, whatever was like unearthing itself in that space was this version of them, a, a, a young version of them. And it felt, um, like there was, there was fear there, you know, there was this thing that was being guarded. And I remember so clearly that it was like a moment for me that it was like, and we're not ready to go into this right now. You know what I mean? Like there was nothing being forced or pushed because I think it sometimes in those spaces, people are like, oh, well, we've got to deal with your inner child right now. And, and we've got to go in and this is what's happening. And this is what needs to be journeyed through. And it was like, no, this person is not ready to walk this path yet. It's there. It's, it's making itself known, but it's not ready yet. And it was like a big moment. I think for me in that session that I was just like, it, it brought relief to me. Mm -hmm. I feel like just because I see it doesn't mean we have to go there. You know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that. And I need the discernment to know when God is saying this is ready and, and helping them do whatever they need to do to walk through that process. Or like making you aware this is here and this will be revisited at another time.
0: Well, I think that part of the reason why that happens sometimes is because when when it makes itself known, whenever it's illuminated, it actually brings it from the subconscious into the conscious of that person. And then they're actually – they can begin to work through it on their own. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like not ready in that moment, but maybe it's also not ready – for us to be a witness to it. You know what I mean? Yes. Because a lot of times this stuff is for them to work through with God on their own. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. And it's like, there's a thing that happens and I know it because it's happened in me where we get into those spaces with people of quote unquote healing. And we do exactly what you're talking about, Danica. We think we're the healer. And so because it's here, I need to take you through this or I need to remedy this for you. We are having our own savior complex come up in mm-hmm. those moments thinking, I need to rescue you from this. I need to fix this. Because if you walk away from this session and it's not fixed, it could just be catastrophic or it could be this. And it's like, we don't even know what that's attached to. But this also made me think, we talked about this in the webinar. And so I'm just going to touch on it, about how that what we were realizing was a lot of what we've called the light body has in fact been a mental construct. And so really, we're just reorganizing things that are attached to the mind. And that
0: Creates a whole nother conversation. Yes. <laughs> it takes a few. Of
2: right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. I
2: think um there's I think that there's a nuance here, like Danica, like you said, the fine line that is in the pendulum swing of <laughs> far to one side of I'm gonna get in here and like you said, manipulate all of these different trajectories, timelines, influences, drop out different trauma signatures and yada yada yada. ET tech, AI implants, programming, false coding, false light codes, crystalline architecture, blah, blah, blah. We know some of the lingo. (laughs) And then the far other side of, I'm just going to be completely passive and share this space with you and watch God do all the work. I think that there is a fine line in in just relating back to the conversation of co-participation in these things as A shared is what I was realizing yesterday is that a shared container with somebody means that everybody comes into the space under a certain level of agreement, energetic Mm -hmm. consent to share that space. And we each have the right to be fully aware of what comes into that space, set our own, uh, laws, rules, um, boundaries for ourselves and for the spaces that we share. So, that is first and foremost what I know Danica. you do and Jody and I do in our session work is we get really clear about what we're going to allow allow in this space to influence us. And that basically we call it the seal up. Whenever we seal everything up, we set the standard, we set the intentions, we say a prayer, we bring God in. That has also evolved for us, but it's allowed us to get really clear about being able to witness what's going on and, Exactly what you said, Danica, is what has happened with us. Instead of going into the complexity of the timelines and the quote-unquote entombments or the trauma signatures or the inner child wounding or the relationship status, (laughs) we're not necessarily digging into those things or pushing our way. We are coming into a space where we anchor in a healing frequency. We anchor in a living, eternal frequency. And what is revealed in that space it is for each of our discernment, like you said, Danica, to to know, and like you said, babe, to know what is ours to be a part of or not. But whenever there is something that is ready to be healed, we, with our visual gifts, or even like our gnosis, our instinct, our feelings, um, or all of the clairs, right, all the clairvoyant, clairsentient, you know, yada yada yada, the gifts, we'll kind of know what time it is whenever it comes time to do some healing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there is this fine line of participation in that where it's not, I'm taking the reins here. I am going to do this for you, but it's like you make somebody aware of something that for the most part at some level, they already absolutely know. Mm -hmm. And to be witnessed in that thing from a coherent space and that standard that was set of safety. It creates security. It creates safety that they may not have had access to in the life that they live, in the relationships where they can go to confide in people. They may not have that at a level that somebody can provide that with God that has already done all the same work on the wounds for themselves that are being brought up right now in the session. So if somebody has like, for example, like a, a major wound with father of uh, an abuse signature, whether it's physical, verbal, psychological abuse, or gaslighting narcissism, and you have already done a level of work with that and come into an embodiment of the truth in your relationship mm-hmm. with God, to heal that father wound, you can provide a level of safety for them to be able to, like you said, Danica, unpack this for themselves. Or like a toddler, yes. they want you there, <laughs> right. right? But they want to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they want to do it but but if you like walk out of the room they'll stop what they're doing they'll leave and like follow you out of the room they just want you there to provide that safety provide that structure and we as participants witnesses um not even so much i guess practitioners or the facilitators we have a role to play in Mm -hmm. what we agree to allow into that space and For somebody to be witnessed in that space also requires another agreement. Whenever healing takes place, I was realizing this yesterday, finally getting to the point. (laughs) that
0: There is a punchline.
2: (laughs) Whenever it's time for this thing to be transformed or to be alchemized, we not only witness that, but we agree. There's a level of coherence that comes from agreement. And it takes two or more right. to create. Yeah. Right? Whether it's us and God or whether it's us and each other and God. Mm-hmm. It takes two or more to create. Two or more in agreement creates coherence. And coherence is necessary for alchemy. Let me
1: and I want to interject here really quick because let me say this is coming up while I was talking and I it leads into it perfectly fits with coherence because we can't have coherence when we don't understand, right? We, we, like informed consent is such a real thing in the quantum shit show (laughs) of not only our 3D reality, but even in this thing that we're talking about with regard to this healing thing that we're talking about, informed consent. So for those of you who don't know, I was a hairdresser. For years. I had my own <laughs> salon and everything. And I can't tell you how many times somebody would sit in my chair who had like long straight hair, all one length. And they'd be like, give me bangs. I want bangs. And I'd be like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, let's talk about this for a minute, because I didn't I'm not the girl that believed in if you came and sat in my chair that I was going to do whatever you asked for without giving you some background.
2: Like a tattoo artist?
1: Because I watched people get their hair done. And I, I know we're just talking about hair, but they would go do extreme things to their hair and then be pissed a week later and be like, nobody told me it was this much work. Nobody told me I had to wash my hair in cold water all the time to keep the red in. You know, it's like. I would sit and be like, okay, let's have a real conversation. Are you sure you want bangs? Let me tell you what goes into having bangs, okay? This is what your everyday life is going to be like with bangs. This is what's going to happen to your hair when you style it. You're going to have to style it because I'm going to fix it today. And when you walk out of here, you're going to love it. But if you don't fix it, you're going to hate it every day of your life. And you're going to have to cut (laughs) your bangs every six weeks. Are you ready for that commitment? And people would sit in my chair and be like, forget it. Just, just give me a little trim on the bottom. And I'm like, okay. And sometimes people will be like, yes, I'm fully committed to the bangs. And I'm like, okay, I want to make sure you have all of the possible information in front of you before you make this drastic change. And I feel like, A lot of that is missing when it comes to this kind of healing practice. There's not enough information being given in these spaces, giving people the ability to choose or to participate in their healing. They are not informed on what's going on. And we just assume people understand, or we assume people know. And if we do this thing, or we do that thing that we think they're already prepared to handle whatever the fallout is of that. Mm -hmm. I think there is a level of us coming back into a space of communication in the space so that we can have coherence. Like what you're talking about, Bo, is like, I can add my energetic inner, you know, like force to the process if I know exactly what's being asked of me, or if I know what to expect out of this process. And I think there's just some basic fundamental things like that, that are so beneficial in a healing space that promote healing, you know, just like there's awareness. Oh, okay. Then I can relinquish. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten in a field with people and it's like, I can't even touch anything because there's so many walls up, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's so much like uh reservation. in them. why? Because they, they don't feel safe. Yeah. <laughs> you or know? It's,
2: even us as a pair, a man and a woman going in with somebody, there will be uh, situations where I don't have access Yeah. and you absolutely <laughs> do. Yeah. And I'm not seeing anything, feeling anything, or it's very clear. Like, you're not allowed in here and I'm like <laughs> I'm looking at Jody like they got nothing. <laughs> or vice versa right,
1: right because of
2: the the trauma the wounding the safety that's required for healing to actually happen
1: that's
2: it and that's what people are investing in with the quantum session work and at the same time like I think that just want to touch on this too is to look at like a monetary exchange for some sort of um, process like this I think it can go into a ton of nuance and what people are comfortable investing in or not seeing the worth in it or not. Uh, I think it can be described by each different person who offers this space, this sort of container um, in different ways, why they have, if they set a price on it, why they have that price, or why it would be uh, more sterile even, or more clinical than, or, or even that role of ethics coming in, Mm -hmm than just two friends having a conversation like this. You know, like in this container, this is three friends having a conversation (laughs) and being witnessed in that conversation. Right. And there are more participants than just Mm -hmm. us three in this conversation, I feel like. But we're not going to start breaking apart our own trauma and wounding. And that could happen organically (laughs) too. But there's a specific space that's created by those who have actually – come to a level of optimization with their own wounding and have traversed different identity crises (laughs) or um, artificial intelligence timelines, so on and so forth, and come back into a space where they can navigate something very specific for somebody who has not walked through that. So whenever people invest into this, looking at the monetary exchange is just another representation of the energy that's put in and exchanged for that process it's it's really to each person what it's worth to you and um looking at what else you would exchange that same amount of energy for uh when it didn't have to relate to your own healing you know let's just get real with ourselves like what are we investing in and it's just an honest question for each of us to ask and and, an honest um option like it's an open option for each of us to invest in something that they deem worth what is being asked. Okay. So, you know, whatever it is, whether it's a healing container or working with a certain person, um, you're obviously not paying monetary value for a relationship with somebody, but the container and the space that's being held in that experience. I mean, you have people yeah. who go pay more to Joe jump out of an airplane. Right. I mean, and it's like, what? what is it worth? <laughs> oh, What's right. it worth to you? So each <laughs> his own, but. I think um, I really would like to just <laughs> see one day <laughs> a day, please God, where people don't bitch and moan about others uh, putting a monetary value on what they're offering to people
0: mm-hmm.
2: because, you know,
0: well, I, I, I mean, the, the the basis of it is that, We have, we also have to exist here in this world and we have to abide by this agreement of money, you know, if we're going to actually survive. And it's interesting because people will come to a space and be like, I am entitled to health and wealth and all this kind of stuff, but I don't like your prices. You're not entitled to it. I am, but you're not, right? So it's really interesting because as much as I would love to offer my time and energy for free to people, and sometimes I do, sometimes it's appropriate. It's appropriate for me to offer a trade or to offer something for free for someone, you know. And um, but ultimately, I also have bills, and we also have to eat, and we have to take care of our bodies. We have to sustain ourselves here in this world, and. And I think that sometimes people forget about that because they feel like they're entitled to healing work. That's my birthright. That's my (laughs) right. That's my right. Right. It's my right to be healed. But they forget that part of that initiatory process is the money exchange because money essentially is energy. But then there's a whole like initiation through like money enslavement and stuff too, which was, you know, difficult for me uh, in particular to break down um, because I didn't come from a lot of money. So when I had it, um, I was on one end of the spectrum or the other, I was either trying to hoard it and save it and not putting it back into circulation, which was throwing that, that scale, that balance of giving and receiving the law of reciprocity, right? It was throwing it out of balance. Or Mm -hmm. I was on the other end where I I was like butterfingers and just putting it all back in circulation and having none, you know? So (laughs) now I'm finally at a place where it's like, if I find the value in something, I have no issue whatsoever paying that person for their time, their energy, their expertise, because I find value in it. When people come to me and they're like, you should be doing this work for free because this type of work is healing work. Everyone's entitled to it. They don't really find value in what I'm doing because if they did, they would, they would give me the exchange that I'm asking for, Right because that's what I feel like my time and my energy is worse. And now I do agree that sometimes it can get kind of outrageous and astronomical with people being like, you know, I'm going to charge $4,000 for a 30 minute session or whatever. I I feel like that's happens. Yeah, it happens. And, but you know what? I don't write them or email them and be like, this is outrageous. (laughs) What it is is I don't find that that is, valuable to me enough to pay that amount. So I'm not going to do it. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with them or how they see and value themselves or their offerings. It's it's me. I don't find the value in it. So again, here I'm taking responsibility and accountability for the way that I feel about that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and let me say this too, because this
1: fits perfectly with this whole conversation around responsibility versus right. Mm -hmm. And it is our birthright to heal. And we have to take responsibility for our own healing, right? So even in this mm-hmm. conversation, I've, I've, seen, I've seen people do this whole thing, like, I want to offer my services for free because everyone should have access and all that kind of stuff. But when we do that, how altruistic, <laughs> yeah, when we do that, we jump into a mode of taking people's responsibility away from them. Now, mm-hmm. maybe not in every case, because like you said, there's times when it's appropriate to offer something for quote unquote free. But let's be let's be clear. There is no such thing as free mm-hmm. in that sense something in this in this mm-hmm. dimensional space. Yeah. That that is not real. And but frankly that goes against universal law because
2: universal law of exchange
1: there is there always has to be reciprocity or there will create deficit and now we're in a consumptive state right and that's right. what we're doing.
2: parasitic exactly right
1: becomes it, 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 yeah. parasitic so you know, you know exactly. People have all these arguments around, you know, healing work mm-hmm. and money and how it's related and breaking down programs around it and blah, 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 blah. But the fact of the matter is we are keeping this conversation right where we started, and that is right versus responsibility. And if I if you say that it is your right, but you do not take responsibility for the right that you claim, then you're just talking out of your rear end, right. you know, basically um because there is a responsible action that's required in order for you to claim the right that you say that you have and so i think that we have to grow up you know i think that there has to be some freaking spiritual maturity and otherwise in terms mm-hmm. of responsibility and accountability those are two attributes of a spiritually mature person mm-hmm. and that's what we really are speaking to when we're talking about this we're talking about growing up already, you know, and stopping all this bickering and all this craziness and claiming that this is yours or claiming that that is yours and maintaining some childish viewpoint or how you try to take what you don't want to hold responsibility for. Mm -hmm. Or open up containers and say that it's your right to bring this or that forward and then not take the responsibility for what that information is going to do once it's left your mouth and hit the ears of the people who listen and then be like, well, that's not mine to deal with. That's yours to deal with. And that's what I appreciate about you so much, Danica, is that you have consistently shown up in spaces where it is not easy and you have taken responsibility for the things that you've said You've taken accountability for the things that you've done, and you've done it very openly and um, authentically, and it has put you in crosshairs with people. You know, <laughs> Unfortunately, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's time to grow up, people. It's time to grow up. It's time to start honoring when people are willing to say the hard things. And if you don't agree, you don't agree, but you don't have to go shooting people down because they said something that challenged your identity.
0: You know, like. Let's, let's all chill out. Well, I think the issue here is that I'm not challenging anyone's identity. I'm challenging ideas that they're attaching their identities to. So So then that becomes a problem because they're identifying with external things. And then whenever I have questions about those external things, they've attached and entangled their identity into them. So then they feel like I'm questioning or challenging them as a human being when I'm actually not, you know? And so um, there was something that you said earlier um, that I wanted to touch on. And it was about, um, I guess, taking account, taking responsibility for the things that you say and how it's going to reach people's ears whenever you say it or the things that you do. And I think, (laughs) again, just acknowledging the nuance here, because I do, I do believe that ultimately we are not truly responsible for the way that people perceive or receive us. Right. But in that same breath, I do believe that we are responsible for our own delivery Mm -hmm. And that we need to take accountability for those moments when we probably need to adjust our delivery or recant it entirely. Right.
2: Right. Agree. Yeah. Because straight up, I mean, like we talked about in the first episode is that whenever something's being delivered from a place of truth, it will mend. It will inevitably take a step towards mending. And even if people do struggle with something for a while, this isn't about being apathetic. You know, like exactly what you're saying, Danica, is like, you know, there are going to be people who react to certain things because there are there are things inside of them being illuminated as we have all experienced for ourselves. I mean, babe, how many times have you said something to me? And I have just stood there like shit. just really shaken up. And then my whole body goes on fire because I'm just like, why did you have to say that? You know? And it's only because I'm having that reaction in me. And there's a part of me that's been hidden for so long in darkness. And I have even subconsciously tried to hide that for myself and it's being illuminated. And yes, there was safety provided in that space and it was safe for me to process that. And yes, I was feeling shame in those moments. And yes, I had things to heal. And it wasn't your responsibility um, for my reaction. Like my reaction wasn't your responsibility. And just like Danny said, is if you had shown up and been like what you call spiritual arsony, right. <laughs> you're coming from a wound, right? Mm-hmm. Because when, like, that's why I said, whenever something's being delivered from truth, it's not being delivered from a wound or to compensate something mm-hmm. or to justify it or eat or deny Mm -hmm. anything it's just is what it is and there is that deep level of compassion and empathy and openness still and willingness to hear um and it allows the space for people to do with that what they will i think that there's a clear um difference between delivering something from a space of truth and then delivering something from a wound even if it's true Mm -hmm. Right. And that's still not truth. That's still just honesty.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. You
2: know, right. so it's like, it brings back that conversation. I think it was in the first episode that we had it, where it's like, I'm, I'm just telling you so I can be honest and I'm just going to leave that there. And it's like, you mm-hmm. like have to follow that up with truth. Like we're going to be honest, like in our, our relationship here in this show, like in our friendship beyond this space is like, we have been honest with one another many times. Mm -hmm. And if we just left that honesty there, (laughs) it would have probably done a lot more damage um, whenever the intention was to just be honest. Yeah. So whenever we are honest, that's valuable, yes. But the value comes from the truth that's held beyond the honesty. Mm -hmm. So I can tell you, you're pissing me off right now. But the truth is, I'm pissed off. (laughs) because I have a wound, yeah, you know, and and I'm honest with you. And I'm able to say what I'm feeling or I'm I'm afraid of something, you know, like it's important to express certain fears, but to express the fears to get them off of us and put them on someone else to take care of that. That's honesty, right? I'm I'm just scared shitless right now. (laughs) Somebody needs to do something. (laughs) The truth would be, I'm afraid of this, because my faith is shaking because I have a wound, you know, because daddy wasn't there or whatever, you know, I mean, it's just like, that's, that's my own shit. I mean, that's, that's my own experience. And oh my how many times have, has, has my faith been a question because of an abandonment wound that I have with my own father? So it's like, right. I can't put that abandonment wound on you whenever you're here fully open and ready for me. And so that's <clears throat> even clarifying the difference between honesty and truth. And I just think it's such a badass conversation.
0: I think that if we could all learn to do that and get comfortable doing it, um, get get comfortable challenging our ourselves, being being truthful, not honest, but truthful with ourselves, and then let that come out in our relationships around us. This brings me back to something that you've said often, Jody, about how. Um, Sorry, I had to pause because I thought my chickens were screaming again. <laughs> For those who, who listen, I have some chickens and they scream and sometimes I have to check on them. So um, it brings me back to what you were saying about how it could actually restructure what we call community. Yep. Yep. I, I mean, oh my gosh.
2: When people show up from a place of wholeness... Because the the way of interacting, the way that we're speaking about right now, coming from a place of truth, you have to be in relationship with truth, Mm -hmm. right? And truth being love, those things being synonymous, but also describing something else very, very specific. These are attributes of God. These are representations of God. If creator source is the truth and we're coming back to truth and we're seeking truth in all things that we do to have a relationship and heal our relationship with the truth. Because the truth represents a level of authority. It represents a structure, a law, that father essence. Mm -hmm. It also represents unconditional love, that motherly essence as well. It represents eternal life, breathing life into something, that (laughs) inherent eternal compassion. I mean, this is the thing that we're talking about. And to have a relationship with that means that we can be anchored in that place to have these interactions. And we're not, mm-hmm. not disconnected from that any longer. Mm-hmm. So it takes that responsibility that each one of us is on to heal our own wounds, be accountable mm-hmm. for ourselves. And we can't be accountable for ourselves and try to hold space for someone. Or We can't uh, deny accountability right. and try mm-hmm. to hold space for somebody else mm-hmm. because the wounding will always take over. The dark magic will always come back in. Yep. And those false identities will always come back to take, back,
1: take Gosh, over. I can't even imagine a scenario like that. I mean, I, I know it happens all the time, but I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm thinking, how freaking dangerous is that? Mm-hmm. Willing to take accountability or accept responsibility for your own actions and then try to go hold
0: space for people? Like, <laughs> no. Be for disaster. Like danger. So- what you were saying earlier about truth and love and being one and the same, I think that it, I think this is a really good topic as well, because often we talk about truth or we talk about love as if they weren't actually like interconnected with one another. And one is very much like the masculine and one is the feminine. They have to go together because without truth, um, love is like can be manipulative. Right. Mm-hmm. And without um, love, truth can, is like mean it can be mean and cold and um, abrasive and but when you have both of them together is where true compassion lies you know it's like that truth and love together is that god frequency that we're always talking about it is that that reverence and and justice and um and of course when i say those things i'm not talking about like the inversions that we experience here you know in this in this 3d reality but um Truth and love together is that God frequency that we're trying to embody. So they can't be separated.
1: Mm-mm. Right. No, you're never going to find one without the other. Not be. in not yeah. not in truth. <laughs> you're <laughs> never going to find one without the other. If you're claiming that that is so, then you're you're viewing them in a distorted way because whatever it is that you're perceiving is not the wholeness of the thing because they are literally a. A, they're one thing. Mm-hmm. Truths are one thing. They they, right. they aren't even two pieces of a whole. They're they are so intermingled and so connected that they cannot mm-hmm. be separate from each other.
0: You know, like God, <clears throat> like the. It is. I mean, it is God, right? It is that 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 Holy Mother and the Holy Father that are not. They are somehow individual, but they're so integrated that they will never be separate.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, love is the truth, you know what I mean? Like it (laughs) is the objective reality in its wholeness, you know what I mean? So it's like
2: compassion is a perfect example because we always say this too, is that compassion doesn't mean tolerance. I mean, compassion is the truth and the love together, but without the truth and just having that little essence of love, compassion turns into tolerance. And without the truth, we don't have the boundaries that are required to maintain our own spiritual integrity, but also our own safety, mm-hmm. right? so the com- the compassion turns into something else,
1: yeah,
2: right? And then compassion without love, I don't know what would that be Justification or would that just be more tolerance?
1: I don't,
0: yeah, I don't even think that it, it's not even possible for it to exist outside. Of
2: I, mean,
0: like, I, I feel like that's some sort of weird, like, mind construct that's not even, like, really a thing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I I would go as far to say
0: that for myself. Performative action is what it is.
1: <laughs> that I I know that I'm still attempting to. Of like really understand love and truth, you know, mm-hmm. which is God. And, and I, I know that I'm still coming into a relationship with that because I know I have evolved. I know that I am not the same person I was a decade ago in how I respond to people or react to people or what it is I call truth or love. Um, and I know that I'm still in a process of unpacking that more and like living in that space of this is what it is. And I'm a conduit for it rather than I'm observing it and I'm trying to articulate what it is to you. Mm. So yeah, that's just me. I I, I know that. And, and I'm saying that because there've been recent things that have happened in my life and I've looked at them and said, you know, I responded this way or I didn't respond in this way um, as an act of love. And um, perhaps that is the truth you know there was no there was no ill will or um, malintent on my part in any situation but perhaps i'm still needing to learn more about what love really is and maybe love doesn't show up like that maybe it shows up differently you know and so again i'm just in that space of like i believe that these two things are inseparable i don't believe that you can pick them apart and present one and then not the other you know love mm-hmm. and truth but i know for myself that i am still in a process of like And I really want to be the conduit for that. Holy. Yeah. I like
0: that. I feel like we're all in a space of continual learning and evolution. And, um, I mean, I, I speak for myself when I say this, but I I feel like obviously y'all probably feel the same, but it's like in no way by creating this podcast, are we like trying to present ourselves in a position of like authority or anything like that? We're coming here as real people on real journeys having conversations about real things that we're experiencing. And, you know, it's not like, and I tell people this all the time. I'm like, this is an ongoing process. Like I'm not completely healed. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. you're not going to come and take a course with Danica or come and and do a session with Danica. And then it's over and you're healed and you're connected to God or whatever. You know, it's like, that's Mm -hmm. not the way that it works. This is a continual process. And the things that we're talking about, I am, 100% positive that they're probably going to change at some point, at least some parts of it, maybe not wholly, you know what I mean? Because usually the things that we're talking about, they have that truth in them. And then we're working to peel apart all the other pieces that are bullshit around it to get to that absolute truth. So, um, yeah, I know for myself, I am on this journey just alongside everyone else, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: And I want to say this in in light of the whole thing that sparked this conversation um, with regard to the rights versus responsibility and, um, you know, quantum healing work, because what we've seen and and, and this is part of the evolution of the quantum shit show is what we've seen in the spiritual community is this thing for people that that drives them to seeking out certain healers, this is an air quotes, healers that will basically predict the future or tell them something important about themselves, you know, to help them feel worthy and all of these things. And, and, and it, it's, it's a shit show. It, it really is. Um, because it has, what it has done and, is again, this is back to the responsibility conversation, right? So if you are a quantum healer that you quote unquote access to those codes. Okay. And and I'm just going to leave it right there, but you're doing that in quantum healing sessions and then not taking responsibility for what that actually creates in people's lives. This is again, where we're coming back and going, no, 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 no. We've got to assess. We have got to reevaluate because there is a, um, there is an effect that this has, when this happens, even if you feel completely aligned to doing that kind of work in a quantum session and you're uncovering entombments and you're pulling up timelines and you're telling people, this is who you were in this thing. You have to understand your work has repercussions. And if you're not going to take responsibility for whatever that is in, in bringing it forward, I'm not talking about what they do with it, but I am talking about what it does in the trajectory of time and space then we we need to have a bigger conversation because these things are happening and it has become mm-hmm. such that people are feeling a sense of importance, I think, um, in being able to access that and do that for other people. Um, but I don't believe that full responsibility is being taken on the part of the quantum practitioner in every situation and they're going... And when I deliver this information, this is the potential that this could create, you know, for them and for me. Because if you're in the space, it's creating something for you too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's doing something in your space too. So, anyway, I'm saying all that because this is what really we started seeing and witnessing in terms of one of many things mm-hmm. that was like we're holding this and going, this is a shit show. You know, and this is creating more chaos. It is not creating tidiness and neatness and cleaning things up. It is stirring the shit pot. And so what is truth? You know, where's the truth?
0: And it's decorating people's wounds, so to speak. You know, it's just putting shiny things on these wounds and glamorizing them, building alternate or false timelines, manipulating the trajectories. But what it's not doing is facilitating real healing Mm
1: -hmm.
0: on a quantum level, which is that like cellular level, right? It's not actually providing an avenue for for healing. And so um, I think that, I think Shannon actually said it best whenever she was like, well, how do these things help me now?
2: Right. (laughs) Right.
1: So... And if there's any validity to what is being shared in those spaces about who you were in this time or that time, hopefully what's being done is not that you're correcting a trauma in that timeline, but that you are extracting yourself completely and collapsing everything that that timeline represents, because then that gets us into a whole nother conversation about all of these synthetic trajectories. So... (laughs)
0: With that,
1: (laughs) yeah, for next time.
0: For next time. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today on the Quantum Shit Show, and we'll see you next time. All right.